Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So if you have passed a car dealership or a big retail business sometime in the last 26 years, then at some point in time, you've likely seen one of those big inflatable tube men that have their arms that flail about, right? So those tube men are actually called air dancers or sky dancers, but you may not know that they were originally called tall boys. So... Back in 1996, a man by the name of Peter Minshaw and his team, they were tasked with organizing the opening ceremonies for the Olympics that summer. And they had this great idea to create this inflatable screen to project video on. Well, that was a failed idea. And so when that idea failed, they had an even greater idea, and that was to create these tall boys that would be present at the Olympics as as images of excitement and joy. So we're in a series right now titled Undeniable Joy, and as we're going through this series, we're simply walking through the book of Philippians. So let me just pause right here and remind you of of our working definition for biblical joy. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that is at work within us regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. Let me say that again. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that is at work within us regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. And remember, the spirit that I'm referring to, I'm not referring to our own spirit, and I'm not referring to some mystical spirit. I'm specifically referring to the Holy Spirit that is given to every single believer upon the point of our salvation. And so if you've given your life to Christ, what this means is that you have received the Holy Spirit into your life, and He can work in your life to to produce joy in your life, even when the circumstances of your life may not be in and of themselves joyful circumstances. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, then understand that's your first step. As we're going through this series and as we're talking about this undeniable joy that we can experience, your first step is to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus Christ that you may receive this spirit into your life. Now, as we think about these air dancers or, or these tall boys, when they're deflated, really they are just tubes of, of fabric. But when the power is turned on, these tubes, they're filled up with this air, and it's only then that we are able to see them as these images of joy. Understand, when we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us up, not with air, but with His presence. And and as He fills us up with His presence, it's then that He produces in us this joy, regardless of our circumstances. And so this is why I give this reminder each and every week that, that if you haven't yet given your life to Christ, 
that that's your first step. Because apart from salvation, apart from receiving the Spirit in your life, you may be able to experience circumstantial joy or temporary joy based on your circumstances, but you're not going to be able to, to fully experience this unending and undeniable joy that, that only comes when, when the Holy Spirit fills our lives. So let me just pause right here and ask, has the Holy Spirit filled your life? Has the Holy Spirit filled your life? Really what I'm asking is, have you given your life to Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you allowed Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life that his spirit might enter your life, filling you up with his presence each and every day? And if you haven't, then that would be my prayer for you. That today you wouldn't just experience circumstantial joy, but today you would turn from your sins, that you would give your life to Christ, that his spirit might enter your life, that his spirit might... Fill your life up that you might walk in and know this unending joy because of your salvation. As we look at the book of Philippians, it's clear that Paul is not experiencing circumstantial joy because Paul's circumstances are not joyful circumstances. Paul is in prison. He's in prison for sharing the gospel, for pro proclaiming the good news that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And as he's in prison, we, we talked about this last week, Paul's not 100% sure that he's going to get out of prison alive. He, he thinks that he, he likely will get out of prison alive because God wants him to continue to advance the gospel, but he's not 100% sure that he's going to make it out of prison alive. And yet, even while he's in prison, even while he's unsure whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die for his faith, what we see is Paul writes this letter of great joy. And we're going to continue to see this joy at work in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 11. And as you're turning there, what I want to do is I want to quickly remind you of verses 29 and 30 from chapter 1 last week. Philippians 1, 29 and 30, Paul said, For it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. And if you remember, the, the struggle that Paul was in and, and the struggle that the, the Philippian church was experiencing was persecution for their faith. And really, the struggle that Paul is talking about for the Philippian church was they were struggling to walk in obedience to the gospel, that they were struggling to, to even advance the gospel, to share the gospel because of this persecution, because of, of their suffering. But what we've been reminded of so far, as, as even in the, the first chapter, as we've walked through the first chapter of Philippians, what we've been reminded of so far is that God can use even the struggles in our life. God can use even the sufferings in our life. Even though we may not enjoy the suffering, we may not enjoy the struggles, God can use even the suffering in our life for His glory and for our good. So there's a painter in the Netherlands named Bart van Polinen. Now, he's a painter now, but before he was a painter, he was a boxer. 
And so because he, he was a boxer, he has an interesting way to paint. What he does is he takes canvases and he wraps a punching bag with these canvases. Then he puts on his, his boxing gloves, he dips them in paint, and he begins to punch these canvases. And while that may sound like an interesting way to paint, his paintings sell for upward of $1,500 each. He punches a canvas, and what is created is something beautiful. You know, sometimes in life, we may feel like we are getting beaten up. We may feel like we are being punched. We are being hit from every angle, and yet God can take even the struggles in our life, God can take even the suffering in our life, and He can create something beautiful. So let me just pause right here and say this. Beauty can come from the suffering. Beauty can come from the suffering. Beauty can come from the pain. We may not always understand why we're going through a struggle. We may not always understand why there is a particular suffering in our life. But even when we don't understand why we have this struggle, even when we don't understand why we have this suffering in our life, what we can do is simply trust God. We can trust that God can use even the struggles, that God can use the sufferings for His glory and for our good. Beauty can come from the suffering. Paul understands this, and so even in prison, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his struggles, he's able to have this this great joy, and he's encouraging the Philippian church to, to know, to experience, and to walk in this joy as well, even in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their struggles. And we're going to see this continued encouragement in our passage this morning. So with that in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to begin by, by highlighting what we see there in, in verse 1. Paul says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Really what Paul is doing is starting chapter 2 with, with some rhetorical statements or, or rhetorical questions. 
So back when I was a student pastor at First Baptist Watauga, which we have some members of First Baptist Watauga with us today, surprise, uh, surprise to me this morning, glad to have you here. But back when I was a student pastor at First Baptist Watauga, we had a student in our student ministry that didn't fully understand rhetorical questions. And so when I was preaching sometimes to the students, and I would ask a rhetorical question, he would shout the very obvious answer back out to me. And so I had to pull him aside one night, and I explained to him, look, if I'm asking a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it out loud. Everybody already knows the answer. As Paul makes these statements, like if there's any encouragement in Christ, he does it in a rhetorical way with the understanding that the Philippian church fully understood that, yes, there is encouragement in Christ. Yes, there is consolation of love. There would have been no, no doubt. This, this would have been very obvious to the Philippian church. They knew these things to be true. So let me just pause right here and ask, do you know these things to be true? Paul knew these things to be true. The Philippian church knew these things to be true, but do you know these things that Paul is saying here to be true? So there are a couple of things here that I want to point out that are true, that Paul says. First, we have an encouragement in Christ. We have an encouragement in Christ. Listen, if you have given your life to Christ, then you have the greatest encouragement that you can have in this life, regardless of your circumstances. You have a great encouragement in Christ, knowing that the God of the universe loved us enough to send Jesus into this world to die on a cross for your sins and mine. But even more encouraging, Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the grave. But three days later, he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And if we place our faith in him, then we have redemption. We have transformation. We have forgiveness. We can be set free. We have an encouragement and, and a great hope to cling to even in the most difficult of times. There is encouragement in Christ. So we have an encouragement in Christ. Second, we have the consolation of love. Now that word that's translated there as consolation, you may see that as comfort of love in, in some of your, your Bibles. But really the word that, that we see there, it, bas it bears this weight of strengthening or helping. In, in fact, I would say that the Latin word for comfort uh, really captures the heart of this word even better because it, it, the, the Latin word for comfort, not only does it mean comfort, but it also means brave. You see, when we are reminded of the great love that God has for us, when we're reminded of the great love that Christ has for us that sent him to the cross, it gives us a strength and even a bravery in the difficult times. Now, this strength is not our own strength, and this courage is not our own courage. Rather, this is a strength and a courage to us that is provided for us through the Spirit that is at work within us. So there is an encouragement in Christ. There is a consolation of love. What Paul says in verse 1, he knew these things to be true, and he also knew that the Philippian church knew these things to be true as well. And so he goes on in verse 2, to, to say, make my joy complete. 
And as he says, make my joy complete, then what we see in the following verses, verses uh, 2 through 11, we see him describing how the Philippian church could make his joy complete. And I believe that in these instructions, we see a couple of ways that we can have this complete joy, especially as a church body, ways that we can walk in this complete joy that, that Paul is talking about. So first, there's joy when we walk in unity. There is joy when we walk in unity. So through the month of September, we've been collecting money for the Mary Hill Davis offering. And if you're not familiar with the Mary Hill Davis offering, this is the way uh, that, that we as Southern Baptists, we come together as Baptist churches with, with other Baptist churches in the state of Texas to give together uh, towards Texas Baptist missions. And we come together and we serve together and we give together because we believe that we are better together. But I understand Paul's call here for unity is not a call for all of the different local churches to come together to be united. He's really calling the Philippian church to be united within their local church body. That as they are going through struggles, as they're going through this per persecution, as they're going through these, this suffering, that they wouldn't simply operate as individuals, but as a church body, that they would come together and that they would operate as one body in unity. Paul knew this to be true, that there is strength when we operate as one. There is strength when we operate as one. So having grown up in South Texas, the opportunities to see snow falling from the sky were few and far between. Can I get an amen, right? Right. Hardly ever see that happen. So I remember the first time that I saw snow falling from the sky. Uh, I was in high school, and, and we had traveled up north as a family for, uh, during Christmas time, during Christmas vacation. And we were sitting in a restaurant at the time. My sister and I were sitting on the same side of the booth. I was on the inside of the booth, and she was on the outside of the booth. And someone walked into the restaurant, and I heard these words, It's snowing outside. And that was it for me, right? I shoved my sister out of that booth as fast as I could, and I ran outside so I could see snow falling from the sky. Hashtag no regrets. <laughs> but you know, as we think about these snowflakes that fall from the sky, just as individual fl flakes, they are, they are delicate things. They melt very easily. But, but when they come together... Right? If enough of them come together, you can form a snowman or maybe even an igloo. But if enough of them come together, the weight of this snow can crush a small town. As Paul talks about the, this unity, as he calls for the Philippian church uh, to be united in spirit, he understands that when we operate as one, there is strength. When we operate on our own, we may be Delicate, we may be weak, but when we come together, when we operate as one, there is strength. There is strength when we operate as one. But I want you to understand, as Paul calls for the church in Philippi to operate in unity, he's not saying that we have to agree on every single little thing all the time, right? There's going to be things that we disagree with at times. 
So this last Friday night, there was a group of us from First Baptist Stockdale that served in the concession stand at the football game on Friday night. Let me just say thank you to all those that came out. A uh, great opportunity that we had to serve in the concession stand. We did this last year as well, and both last year and this year, there was a disagreement among some of our members as to what color one of the Gatorades was. <laughs> all right. Some believed that the Gatorade was yellow... And some were wrong, and they believed that it was green, right? <laughs> now, I say that jokingly, right? But, but even with that disagreement, right, we, we could still come together and we could still serve together because we had one mission and one purpose in mind. So let me pause right here and just say this. We can disagree and still walk in unity, we can disagree and still walk in unity. And so if we don't have to agree about everything, if we can have some disagreements and still walk in unity, then what is it that unites us? How can we walk in unity? Well, Paul says right here, we are to be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, uh, for the local body of believers, for the church in Philippi, and also for First Baptist Church Stockdale, it is Christ who unites us, and it is a mission rooted and grounded not in our own ideologies, but in His Word and in His kingdom that moves us forward in one direction together. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because I, I repeated that to you throughout our Who We Are series earlier this year. But it's Christ that brings us together. It is Christ that unites us. And it is a mission rooted in his word and his kingdom that is going to move us forward together. We may have dif different agreement or disagreements from time to time. But as we come together with this common purpose of sharing Christ, of, of serving Christ, of advancing the gospel, we are able to walk in unity with one another. And, and as we walk in unity together... Even when there's disagreements, if we know that we, are, we have this common purpose, walking in unity together in one spirit, let me tell you, there is great joy in that. So there's joy when we walk in unity. Second, there's joy when we walk in humility. Let me read verses 3 through 4 again. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's joy when we walk in humility. So I have a book in my office titled Humilitas. It's a book on humility. And in the introduction of the book, the author points out that writing a book on humility is somewhat of a strange thing to do. Because if you use yourself as an example of humility, well, all of a sudden it sounds quite prideful, right? And so the best thing that we can do if we're talking about humility, the best thing we can do is look to others for the example of humility. So as Paul tells the Philippian church to walk in humility, he doesn't use himself as an example. Rather, he uses the example of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand this. Jesus is our greatest example of humility. Jesus is our greatest example of humility. Certainly, we can look to others in this world as examples of humility, but if you want the perfect example of humility, you, you need to look no further than 
Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what Paul does for us in verses 5 through 11. He looks to the example of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about humility here, there's a couple of things I want to do. First, I want us to look to the example of Christ, but then I want us to remember the example of Christ. And so as we look to the example of Christ, I want to highlight something that we see there in verse 7. Paul says about Jesus in verse 7, he says, he emptied himself. Now there's a misunderstanding out there, and I would go so far as to say that there is a false teaching by some, that, that what Paul is saying here, when, when Paul says he emptied himself, that, that, that Paul is saying that uh, Jesus completely emptied himself of his deity. And when he came into this world, he didn't come as both fully God and fully man. He only came as fully man. But that's not what this passage is teaching. Jesus did not empty himself of his deity. Instead, he added flesh to his deity. Jesus was God in flesh. When he came into this world, he came as both fully God and fully man, and that's what made him the perfect sacrifice for us. We didn't simply need the sacrifice from a man. Otherwise, any of us could do that, right? We needed the sacrifice of God in the flesh. So we read he emptied himself, and it's not to imply that that there's a removal of his deity. Rather, this is simply metaphorical language to illustrate for us that Jesus became a servant for us. And so when he entered this world in the form of a servant, he went to the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed for us that we might have the redemption of sin so that if anyone calls upon his name, they will be saved. Understand, Jesus' death was an act of grace, it was an act of mercy, and it was a great act of humility. And so as we strive to, to, to look at ourselves not more highly than we ought to, as we strive to look at, at others' interests, to put those before ourselves, then we need to look to the example of Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. So now that we've talked about the humility of Christ, now I want us to very practically remember Christ's humility through the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to invite the deacons forward at this time. And we're simply going to pause and we are going to remember Christ's humility for us as he did go to that cross and as he was broken for us. Now, if you're here today and you would say, that you've given your life to Christ, but you're not a member of this church. You've given your life to Christ. You've followed with baptism. You're not a member of this church. I would invite you, partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Participate in the Lord's Supper with us. You are welcome at the table. But if you're here and you would say, you know what, I've not yet given my life to Christ. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. Then I would encourage you to let the plate pass on by you. We have children in the room today. Some of those children are here in this room because they've given their life to Christ already. They've taken that step of baptism, and they want to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. And so they're going to get to share in that. But let me just say, if you have a child here that has not yet given their life to Christ, let the plate pass by them. And, and, and I would encourage you, use this as a teaching opportunity to share the gospel later on. That's exactly how I came to know the Lord. My mom shared the gospel following the Lord's Supper one Sunday. 
So let the plate pass by them and use it as an opportunity to share the gospel later on. So let me ready these elements and we'll pass them out. So if you would, take that piece of bread and if you haven't, you can peel that top layer back. And as you take that bread, let's pause right now and let's just thank the Lord for his humility that was shown as his body was, that was broken for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your humility in coming into this world to, to serve mankind through the cross. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are willing to have your body beaten, to have your body bruised, to have those nails driven into your hands and into your feet. Lord, we rejoice in the salvation that we can have through you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you haven't done so yet, you can peel back that second layer and you'll have the open cup. And let's just pause right now to remember his blood that was poured out for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we thank you for your blood that was poured out. Uh, Lord, once again, very humbly, uh, submitting to the will of your Father that uh, our sins might be forgiven. Lord, we know that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity for forgiveness afforded to us, Lord, because of your blood that was shed. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Would you take this image of humility with you? Would you each and every day remember Christ's humility, that it might impact, if you're a believer, that it might impact how you operate with one another, that you might also look out for the interests of others, that you might also walk in great humility. You know, when we walk in humility, when we walk in unity, we get to experience this, this complete, this full joy that Paul is talking about. But as I said at the beginning of the service, if you've not yet given your life to Christ, then that's your first step. And so the question that I have is, do you know Jesus as Lord? Do you know Jesus as Lord? And if you don't, then I want to give you the opportunity to do so this morning. So in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this will be your opportunity to respond today. And if you're here, having heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again, and that in him and him alone there is forgiveness, there is remission of sins, that in him and him alone, when we call upon his name, we can be saved. If today you've heard that and you are ready to call upon the name of Jesus, then as we sing this song, I would invite you to step out of your seat. I'm going to be standing right down front in front of this table. You can come and join me down here. And today we can talk and pray and you can know Jesus as Lord. Now maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I do know Jesus as Lord, but I've never taken that step of baptism. The step that the whole Pavelic family took today. If you want to take that step too, then I would invite you to respond as well. So that you can make your faith in Christ public through baptism as well. Now maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ and I've already been baptized, and I've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale, and I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to connect my life with this body of believers, to, to connect my life with what God is doing here at 
First Baptist Church Stockdale and also in the community of Stockdale. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. We can talk, we can pray, you can become a member of First Baptist Stockdale today. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, let me encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.